We get to keep on keeping on with our study on the book of Ephesians where Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and, and we now have made it to the halfway point. Uh, we've ha- we are halfway through, we've, we've covered three chapters and now we will see today that the theme in Paul's writing begins to shift. And so the first three chapters, he's, he's kind of building a case, so to speak. He's, he's talking about who we are in Christ, that, that in Christ Jesus, there's spiritual blessings, that in Christ, we've been chosen and adopted and redeemed and, and reconciled back to God. He's just telling us all these things that have happened. And, and not only are we reconciled to God, but we've been reconciled to each other, that there's no dividing wall of hostility that we can get get along no matter our background no matter our race no matter what upbringing we had we can unite in Christ that what divides us is not greater than what unites us and it is a beautiful story that Paul finishes out chapter 3 with a prayer that is my probably my favorite chapter it is incredible Um, and he is praying that the church that us that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being, that we would have strength and that we would have this strength and power so that we would know the vastness of God's love. That it is so high and so deep and so wide that, that, that it's the fullness of God. And without the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can't comprehend it. And so it was a beautiful prayer that we got to see uh, the, the power at work in us. And so uh, Paul then makes a transition where he begins to tell us because of this, because that all of this that's been done, now it's up to us to start doing some things and start walking some things out and living some things. And we'll see uh, in this as we go through this that there's some 40 imperatives in the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, but there's only one in the first three chapters. And so the first three chapters, there's one imperative, but then the last three, there's 40. And so it is a book of uh, uh, the last three chapters of kind of like Christian ethics of things that we should do. And we're going to get to see that today of what we, how we should live this out. But, but don't get so consumed with a to-do list that you should do this, this, and this that you miss the foundation that Paul has been building for these first three chapters. And so he's going to show us because of this, we should live a life that reflects this. And so uh, we're going to learn that today as we go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now I want to give you a heads up. We're going to jump around through Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and actually, the uh, first three verses of Ephesians 4 that we're going to read today will really be a launching pad over the next several weeks because this, these first three verses launch us into uh, what he's going to talk about as pretty much equipping us as an individual, equipping us as a church, and then equipping us in our household. And so we'll use this verse, uh, these, these three verses, to launch into not only our personal walk with Christ, but also our corporate church body walk with Christ that we'll cover next week and then the week after that we'll cover uh, our walk with Christ as a household as a family as husband and wife and and children we're gonna we'll look at that as well and then we'll finish off chapter six with spiritual warfare and so we're on the home stretch of this uh, but today we're right in the middle of it and uh, so if you have your Bibles go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter four and Ephesians chapter four We will read a few verses, and I would love if you would stand with me as we read the word today. 
As always, bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, we have one for you. You can wave at us. Our ushers will bring them to you. We got them on the sides over there. We got Bibles everywhere. So we would love to get you a Bible. Mark it up, write in it. You can even steal the church pen. Take the, the pen and the seat back. <laughs> write all in there. Take it home with you. That's fine. Ephesians chapter 4, if you found your place, we're going to start in verse 1 through 3. If you're ready to read, say, let's go. This is Paul speaking to the church. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with each other in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, even though this is just a few verses, it is rich, powerful. And Father, as we take this right here and launch into what you want to say today, would you speak to us? We right now, we open our hearts to you, clear our minds, get, get rid of any distractions so that we can hear from you today. And Lord, we don't want to be just a hearer of the word. We want to be a doer of the word. And so Father, we're committing to live this word out in action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Come on, you can be seated today. As you're seated, I want to talk to you around this subject, the worthy walk. The worthy walk. Paul is urging the church, as we see, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And today we're going to talk about what that walk looks like. But I would love for us, before we get to the doing uh, of how to live this out, for us to talk about the calling. Because it, he, Paul uses some very intentional phrasing, and it almost sounds like he repeats himself, but it's two different things where he says you should live a life worthy of the calling in which you've been called. And so we're going to look and see what that means today before we start looking at how we should live out our life. And so I would love to define for us today calling. Uh, you see in your notes, what is God's calling? Um, is that his plan? Is that his will? Is that his purpose? Because we hear that in the Christian circles thrown around a lot. Well, you know, God has a calling on your life. Or, or God's called you to this. Or you might even say, I feel like God's calling me to do whatever. You know, lead me to this. And so uh, we will see all throughout scriptures uh, very detailed callings and very um, specific instructions and assignments where, where God will call you to a certain thing. But there's also an over, just a brushstroke, kind of a general term of calling as we look into the scriptures and what God's called us to. And so no matter your individual calling, calling as a, as a teacher, as, a, as an evangelist, as a, you know, uh, something in the church, or calling as a mother, a, a father, a, you know, a school teacher. You know, beyond that, there is a calling that applies to every one of us. And we're going we're gonna to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul again is writing this to the church at, at Corinth, and he says this, God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so what's God's calling on everybody's life? It's to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so before he would ever tell you to do something, to be called to a certain area or ministry or career, he's calling us to be in fellowship with Jesus. And now he uses very intentional terms here to say fellowship. Because that's talking about being close to Him, intimate with Him, near Him. Well, why would Paul want us to do that? Because the more you're around somebody, 
the more you begin to to act like them. Parents, it doesn't take you very long for, for you to realize that your kids pick up on everything that you do. Some good, mostly bad, right? Like they pick up on all the bad traits. Um, and so we, that's what Paul is telling us, is that God desires for us to be close to him, near to him. And so we must have the fellowship with Jesus Christ before we're ever on assignment by Jesus Christ. And it's so easy for us to, to, especially if you're type A, detailed, very, you know, cut and dry systems and structures type of person, you want the to-do list. Like, let me check it off my list. But Paul said, no, 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 it goes deeper than that. That you must have fellowship with him before you can uh, do all the things that he's called you to do. Because so often, if we're being, being honest, we will skip the fellowship and get to the doing, and we try to walk out our calling and then we're not doing it correctly, or we're not seeing fruit from it, or we feel frustrated, or like we're spinning our tires and not gaining any traction, and we look at it like, God, what's going on? And, and God's not concerned about the act more than He is the intimacy. He wants us to be close to Him. And I would even press that issue a little bit. You can even look at, at pastors, look at myself. You can see people that are called into ministry, and they're, they're trying to operate in their calling and do what God's called them to do, but you look at them and there's no fruit. There's no evidence of an intimacy with God. It's because we try to put the cart before the horse. And, and God is saying, no, no, I want to know you. I want you to be intimate and fellowship with me. I want you to be near with me. So near that I gave you my spirit to dwell in you. What are you going to do about it? And so we see that God is calling us to be near to him. And so we also see from the scripture that, that our calling is to live a new life in Christ. As we become more like Christ, our actions change. As we become more like Christ, His ways become our ways. And so what happens is now we're living a new life in Christ. That when we surrender our life to Him, then we get a new life. And if it's a new life, then the old one must go away, right? If it's a new life in Christ, the old life must die. We must be crucified with Him. And now there's a popular passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 2.9 that we love to preach because it'll hype us up. It'll, it'll get us motivated. But there's some details in there I don't want you to read over. Look in verse 9 of 1 Peter 2.9. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. And we'll shout down the preacher for that one. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, look at the wording, he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You cannot do any of it. You can't proclaim the excellencies. You can't walk out your purpose until you've been called out of darkness into his light. You see, we all were once in darkness. We read that in the first three chapters of Ephesians, that we were spiritually dead, following the prince of the power of the air, as it says, talking about the devil, that we were walking in darkness away from God, and that while we were in that darkness, he called us out of that darkness. You see, to, to, to call something means to bring them out of something. So you once were in darkness, and now you're being called out of it. And so when you surrender your life to Christ, that current life has to die. and You have to come out a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so we are called by God. There has to be a change in our life. And I want us to establish this before we get into the doing. Because it's so easy for us to miss this. Is that when God calls you out, you've got to come out. 
before you can live that new life in Christ. When you're in your darkness, spiritually dead, in your flesh, walking like a dead man, and God calls you out, there has to be a moment where we take off the old man and put on the new man and walk in that. And if we're being honest with ourselves, there's some parts of us that we don't want to leave behind. There's some parts of our old life that we actually like. That it brings us pleasure, it brings us joy, or, or maybe it helps us fit into certain, uh, certain groups and they like the way we act. And so what do we do when we surrender our life to Christ? We don't surrender everything, we kind of hang on to some things. But that's not what God called us to. That is not the, the Christian faith. That is not salvation. That is not surrendering. You can't hang on to any of that. You've got to come out. There has to be a change. And I know it might be... Uh, a hard pill to swallow, but the reality is that there are many who claim Christ, but have never been crucified with Him. They claim Christ, but they've never been crucified. There was no change in their life. They've been called to a new life in Christ, but yet they're not walking it out. And just because you've been called to it doesn't mean that it happens. Just because salvation is available doesn't mean that it happens. Just because the power of the Holy Spirit is available doesn't mean that it just happens. We've got to walk in that and access that. And so, um, and so we have to understand that we have to live this new life in Him. And if we're being honest, when we get into our head a lot of times and look at our current situation, another thing that I think we must establish when you're talking about the call of God is that there are people that will feel or believe the lie of the enemy that would tell you you're too far gone. Like you can never be called by God and used by God to make a difference. Look at your situation. Look at your past. Look at your mistakes. Look at the sin that you dwell, that you dwell in. Look at, look at the mistakes you've made in your marriage. Look at, look at this. Look at, look at your parenting and how you failed, and you will believe the lies of the enemy. But I think it's important for us to understand that when God calls us out of something, that stuff doesn't come with us. When he calls us out of something, his call is not determined based on your current situation. That when he calls you out of something, in your sin, and your mistakes, and your shortcomings, God brings those dead things back to life. And so, and so we must understand that the call of God brings dead things to life. It's a new life in Christ. And so no matter what's going on in your life, it does not dictate your calling. No matter the mess you're in, the sin you're in, God still calls you. Because Paul wrote it, he said, the calling in which you've been called. You've been called. Every one of us have been called. And we have to access that calling. We have to walk in that newness of life. And I want us to establish that, that the call of God, when he calls you, when he calls you. Now, the two words, call and calling. God called you to a calling. And so we must understand that there's two different words. The call of God is him speaking and calling you out, bringing those dead things to life. The calling that he has on your life is to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Or we'll see in other places in Scripture a calling you to a certain assignment or a certain thing in that season of life. But the beautiful thing about this is that God does, he sees past your mistakes, past your sin, and he brings those dead things back to life. The call of God is all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible we see God call, speak to dead things, and bring them back to life. The most prominent story that you can probably think of is when Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus had died. When Lazarus died, he'd been in the tomb four days by the time Jesus got there. And standing between Jesus and Lazarus was a, was a stone. He was put in the tomb and the stone was rolled in front of it. And Jesus looks at his friend. We get the, the, the shortest verse in the Bible of Jesus weeping. It says Jesus wept and he, and he looks at his friend and he says, roll away the stone. 
Now, we can skip over that part and get to uh, Lazarus coming out, but that's important for us to understand that Jesus said, roll away the stone. Because so often in our life, when we're dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, a life away from God, two things. We've closed ourselves in. Lazarus was closed in. But also, we've created a barrier between us and Jesus. And Jesus is saying that you can't tear down that barrier. You can't tear that wall down that separates you. I'm going to call it away. I'm going to tear it down. And so he rolls away, he commands it, he speaks it. It's the call of God on your life to remove that so that I can call you into new life. And that's what God specializes in, is calling us while we're still in our sins, still in our mess, calling us out to new life. And we see that, that that is part of God's calling. We also see that with Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones, where he speaks to those dry bones and he calls them to life. And so we can have new life in Christ. And so I think it's important for us to know today that don't let your circumstances compromise your calling. Don't let your circumstances compromise your calling. So often we can look at our situation, our circumstances, and say, oh, I can never be used by God. He can never do that. I've got to get my act together first. I've got to walk straight first. I've got to live for the Lord first. I've got to do this first. No, no, God calls you out. The calling of God on your life has already been done. He's already called you to Him. And so Paul is a prime example of circumstances not determining your calling. In the first three verses that we read, we see that Paul, from the jump in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I, Paul, he says, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Your translation might say a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It's a pri- I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And now Paul's circumstances, he wasn't just a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was actually a prisoner of Rome. Because when he wrote this, he was on house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, He was a prisoner to Caesar. He was a prisoner to the system. He was a prisoner to Rome. But Paul didn't let his current situation, his current circumstances, identify him as a prisoner to Rome. No, he said, no, no, greater than that, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I'm chained not just to a Roman guard. I'm chained to Christ Jesus. He is my Lord. And so Paul, in his current situation, his current circumstances, being on house arrest, being chained to a Roman guard, It looks like from the outside in or from the natural mind that Paul has failed his calling, his individual calling, because he was called to go to the Gentiles. He was called to evangelize and and preach the gospel. But how can he do that if he's on house arrest? How can he do that if he's chained to a Roman guard? And it would be very easy for Paul to get into the mindset that we find ourselves in. Uh, I can't. I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do this. And I know that I read the Bible, and God wants me to do this, but I can't do this. And, I, and we get in this I can't mentality. And Paul could have very easily fell trapped to that because our human nature would allow us to go there. But I want you to notice that Paul, in, on house arrest, everybody around him thinking that his mission has failed, Paul didn't say, I can't. He said, God, what can I do right now? And I want you to hear this this morning because you're in a circumstance, a situation, a season of your life where there's a lot of I can'ts. But I guarantee you that if you would come to the Lord and say, God, what can I do right now? That God would use you in a way that we read about in Ephesians 3, that there would be exceedingly, abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that's at work in us because His Spirit's in us. So what did Paul do? On house arrest, Paul wrote four books of of the Bible. On house arrest, Four books of the Bible. Some even believe it was as many as seven. But for sure, four books of the Bible were written by Paul 
in an I can't situation. When everybody think around him, it seemed like his call of God had fell, failed on his life. And so Paul says, no, no, no. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm not a prisoner of my circumstances and my situation. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and I'm going to serve him and him first. And, and just something that's not in your notes today, I think it's important for you to understand, is that Paul also didn't let his issues become his identity. Paul didn't let his issues become his identity. He didn't have to put that identifying statement in there. I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. He could have left that out. It could have just been, I, Paul, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. But he put that identifying statement in there to let them know, to let himself know. Probably as he's writing this and talking this out loud, to let that Roman guard know that his issues don't determine his identity. And the devil would love for us in our issues, in our mistakes, in our, in our mess to identify with that. But you've been called up higher to that. You have a hall, higher calling in Christ. And so we don't let our circumstances dictate our calling. We don't let our issues become our identity. What, God, can I do right now? And so don't compromise your calling based on the season of life. The last thing I want us to see about calling before we start getting into the, the walking part of this is this, is that God's calling on your life will cost you. God's calling on your life will cost you. I know this isn't popular. I know it's not popular to preach that it's going to cost you something. I know that, it's, that there's going to be a sacrifice there. No, no, no. Listen to me. God's calling on your life will cost you because everything of value is costly. Everything that's worth something has a price. And what is that price? There's several things that it will cost you. Most importantly, I think it'll cost you your comfort. That you, that you will no longer, as you walk in the calling of God for your life, you will lose your comfort. Because I, I've said this for years, that God's best for your life is often found outside your comfort zone. Is that Because we're not depending on ourselves and our abilities, but we're dependent upon Him. And so God's calling for your life will cost you. We see that, that the call of God, when Jesus says, come and follow me, that's a call. It wasn't to a life of comfort, it was a life of crucifixion. They were, they were following him to Calvary. And so we see that it cost our, God's call on our life will cost us something. What it boils down to is this. You can't walk worthy of your calling until you realize it's worth. You can't walk worthy of your calling until you realize what it's worth. What that calling is worth. That the riches of his glory that he's poured out on you. The preciousness of your salvation. The calling on your life to be a new creation out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That is the most precious, most valuable treasure that you will ever know. And so Paul, he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Not only did he say that as an identifying statement, but he let us know that this calling might cost you. It cost him chains. That he was a prisoner in chains, in bondage to a Roman guard. Is your faith in Jesus worth the calling? Is your faith in Jesus worth the possibility of chains? For Paul, it was. And so what, what does it look like to get to walking out our calling? What does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of your calling? Worthy of your calling. What, what Paul is saying here is walk. That's everyday life. Everybody knows how to walk. 
We, know, we learn how to walk. One of the first things we learn is to walk. And so Paul's saying, in your everyday life, what does it look like to live a life that reflects the worthiness of your calling? What does it look like? And so not, don't, get, don't make the mistake that as by doing these, it's going to make you more worthy or it's going to make your, your calling more worthy. No, no, the, the calling is where the worth is and where the value is and the preciousness is. Now, because of that, we've got to live a life that reflects that. And so we're going to see... As we go through chapter 4, some of 5, we're going to pick some verses out because Paul mentions walking four more times in this book. And each time he gives us more and more details of what that looks like. And so uh, very qu- uh, quickly, I'm going to give you these. We won't elaborate too much on them, but uh, I'm going to set them up for you. And then I would encourage you to go back this week and to read them because there's a lot more details in those scriptures. Essentially, uh, he's going to cover a lot of verse of chapter four and half of chapter five in these four walks that we'll see. And so you see on the back side of your notes, four ways to walk worthy. I'm going to set us up in Ephesians chapter four. We're going to read 17 through 24. And then we'll, we'll be able to see these. In verse 17, Paul says this, he says, now this I say, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life from God because of the ignorance that is in them. I just love the language there. They're ignorant due to their hardness of heart. Now, remember, Gentiles are anybody that's not Jewish. Okay, so we're all Gentiles unless you're a Jew in the house. And that's really cool. Uh, But everybody is Gentile. We were alienated from God at one point. But God broke down that wall of hostility, reconciled us back to him. And before he called us out, before we woke up and, and realized that I need to surrender my life to God, we were this right here. We were darkened in our understanding, alienated from God. We had hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. He's saying that's not how you should live your life. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, and here it is, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Notice here that we have to do that. We have to put it off. And it is corrupt through its deceitful desires, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we start to see here we've got to put off something renew something, and put on something. There's some actions that you have to, when you've been called by God, you've got to take off this old life, renew your thinking so that your actions will change, and you've got to put on the new life. That's something that God doesn't do for you. You've got to do it yourself. He makes it all available to you. And so if you surrender your life to Christ, but you don't take off the old man, then you haven't surrendered. If you say, I'm giving my life to Jesus, but there's things that you're still carrying with you that have, there's no change in your life, then you haven't given your life to Jesus. And so we don't just say it, we live it. We surrender our life. We leave the old way and we walk in new life. We walk in new life. You got to walk it out. You know, I think that we've made a, a, a well, maybe many mistakes, but one of the biggest mistakes in Western evangelism and Christianity that when we we try to evangelize the lost, especially in America, we try to make Christianity so easy to receive. 
And we want to make sure that we say the right things and do the right things so that they can easily come into a relationship with God. And what, if we're not careful, what we do is we water down the salvation moment. We will start with things like, well, if you died today, do you know where you would spend eternity? And, and if they're not a follower of Christ, they'd probably say, well, I don't know. And then you would answer that for them. You would say, well, if you don't surrender your life to Christ, you're going to burn in hell. You're going to spend eternity away from him. Well, then, if any rational human being, they would say, well, well, I don't want to do that. And so what do I got to do? Well, you've just got to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and, and uh, receive him into your life, and you'll, you will be saved. Okay, tell me what to do. And then you pray this, they repeat a prayer after you, and you're like, awesome, you're saved. And then they just go and they live their life, and nothing changes. Is that salvation? Is that what the Word says? Does the Word say that I can just be Christian in name only? Does the word say that I can still walk in my old ways? I can still give in to the desires of the flesh? Or does it say that I must crucify my flesh? That I must take off the old man? Renew my thinking? I've got to change my mind because the way I used to think was me, myself, and I, and it was selfish. And it was more, it was more about pleasing me than it was anybody else. And so I've got to renew my mind so that I can then put on the newness of Christ. Elsewhere, Paul would write to walk in Jesus Christ, to clothe yourself with him. And so we can't just get somebody to, to pray a prayer and, and be done with it. That's just the beginning. They've got to surrender their life. And the issue is, is that we sit in a church like this today, and for some of us, all we ever have done is prayed a prayer. And nothing has changed. We've prayed a prayer, asked the Lord to do things in our life, told Him we surrendered to Him, and then we go and we live our life like nothing ever changed. And so Paul it's telling them, you've got to walk out this new life. We all must go through this process. That Christianity is not just a, a get-out-of-hell-free card. That you must walk this out, live this out, put on this new life. And then, let's jump over to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul gives us another way to walk worthy. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God notice this type of love not the love that the world offers but the love that Christ came and freely gave we are to walk in that self-sacrificing not looking out for myself but looking out for others and so we are to walk in love in a world full of hate now is the time for the church to shine to walk in love, to show the world that there is a better way. The Bible even says that, that they will know you are a disciple of Jesus by your love for each other. And so the world should see our love and know that we are different. And they crave that difference. They crave to be able to walk in a love that we have. Now the world standard of, standard of love would tell you, that if you love somebody, that you have to accept them for the way that they are. That if you love them, that, that you are going to be okay. You should tolerate their actions, their behavior, their identity. You should tolerate those kind of things. But a, a biblical love is not that oh, I'm just going to accept the way you are. A biblical love is that I love you so much that I've got to tell you the truth. I care about you. And so that's what we have to operate in. We have to operate from a place of so, such love for each other that we care enough to tell them the truth. In my life, in the circle of people that I have closest to me, I can tell 
who really loves me because they tell me the truth. Now, husbands, you know this is right. Your wife is going to tell you the truth. Every Sunday, when I ask her, babe, how'd the sermon go? She's going to tell me the truth, okay? She's going to let me know. Now, husbands, when your wife comes out in that new outfit, and she says, babe, how does it look? You don't tell her the truth. You say, babe, it looks great. (laughs) Y'all going to get me. Y'all going to get me. Okay. Tell her she looks great. Tell her the truth that way. She looks wonderful. All right, I'm digging my hole. Let me go. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That's the people of the world. For at one time you were in darkness. Remember that. We were in darkness. But now you are in the light of the Lord. So what do we do? We walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. He's just giving us the answer right there. How to walk in light. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Not to ourselves, but to the Lord. And so what do we do? We walk in light because we were once in darkness and God called us out of that. You are now light. What does that mean? That means that in the presence of light, there is no darkness. That when light enters a room, darkness has to go. And so when you go into a room, you change that environment. You become not a thermometer that just reads the temperature of the room. You can become a thermostat and you set the temperature of that environment. Husbands, you can set the temperature of your household and say, for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Sons and daughters who are, are, have parents that are not Christian, you can set the environment of your room. You can go to your room and you can pray for your room and anoint your room and say, for, for this room right here, this is mine and it belongs to the Lord. You can do the same in the school system, teachers. You can anoint your classroom and and to declare that this room right here is anointed, that there's no spirit but the Holy Spirit that comes in these doors. And so we must understand what it means to be children of light. Children of light. What does light do? It exposes the darkness. That's what the Bible says if we were to keep reading it. It talks about how we should expose the darkness, that we should shine light on it so that they will know the truth. People in darkness are trying to figure out the truth. They're stumbling around, confused, bumping into each other. And God has given us the light to shine on them. And then the last one, in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul gives us a little warning. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying, be careful. You need to walk not as the unwise, but as wise. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. You understand some things. You've learned some things. And now walk in wisdom. You see, wisdom is putting our understanding to use. That's what wisdom is is when you put understanding, what you've learned, your knowledge, to use. And so when we understand something, like I know that, I know the stove is hot, wisdom would be, knowing that the stove is hot, I'm not going to touch it. Knowing that sin kills, steals, and destroys and leads to destruction, I'm not going to touch it. 
knowing that this way is wide and everybody's going this way, I'm not going to touch it. Knowing that God is clear and saying that we should not do this, that we are not to operate this way, I'm not going to touch it. And so this is what he's saying. Walk in wisdom. Why? Because the days are evil, meaning that you are surrounded by evil. You're surrounded by darkness. And it's so easy for us to look at the darkness, look at the evil, and allow depression and anxiety and worry and doubt and fear to come into our life, into our mind and say, well, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll build a wall. Maybe I'll stay in my room, stay in my house, stay in my circle. And we forget that we have the light, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that we're called to be children of light, that we have wisdom and understanding and discernment, that we don't have to walk carelessly or aimlessly, that we're on mission by God. And so God calls us to live a life worthy of the calling that he's called, calling us to Jesus Christ. And today we can realize that that calling is is great and glorious. And we can realize the work of the cross. We can realize that, man, the calling that God has in my life is so valuable. But we sit there and we do nothing. We can realize it, all knowledge and understanding of the Word of God, but not use wisdom to walk it out. And so as we close today, I... I want us to honestly answer a few questions that I asked myself. The first one I asked is, are there areas of my life, are there areas of my old life that I'm still hanging on to? Did my life change after surrendering to Jesus? Then lastly, Will you surrender to that call and come and follow Christ? Today we're going to find ourselves maybe in one of those camps where we realize that I didn't give it all to Jesus, only the parts I wanted to. Maybe for some of us we're Christian in name only and there's never been a life change. There's never been a putting off the old and putting on the new. For some of us, you realize in this moment right here that God actually is calling you out of darkness into his light. If you're being honest, you would say, my environment right now is nothing but darkness. In in the environments that I share my testimony, that's one of the things I say is that my childhood, all I can explain it was darkness. Maybe you find yourself in that situation right now, that you're just in darkness. You can just feel it. And you're looking for peace You're looking for light. You're looking for understanding. You're looking for a way out. And today is the day that God calls you. As he called Lazarus that was dead four days in a tomb, he called him out, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so can we bow our heads all over this place as we reflect on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and doing in our life. And as you are reflecting and Allowing God to minister to you. I want to speak to some people in the room. The the reality is, is that in this moment right here, there are people that God has called and drawn in to this place today. He might have used a friend or a coworker or a family member or social media to show you and tell you about Cornerstone. 
But right now, many of you have a divine appointment with God. And you're in this room right here on purpose because you've been called by God to have fellowship with Him. And so you can't explain it, you don't understand it, but you just understand right now that something's drawing you into a relationship with God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. God's very Spirit is here to draw you in today. Now it's up to us if we're going to surrender to that call and give our life over to Him. Maybe for you, you have claimed to be a Christian, but you've never surrendered. You've never given your life over to Christ. You've never crucified the old man and risen a new man. Maybe you want to join those today that are going to give their life to Christ. Whatever place you find yourself in, you know today is the day that you need to surrender to Jesus. Put off some things and put on some things and walk in the newness of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, as people are, are praying and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to speak to them, would you be honest and just lift up your hands and say, Michael, that's me. Today I am giving my life to Jesus. Is there anybody here today that today is your day? Thank you, I see your hand. Anybody else? Today's my day to surrender to the Lord. All over this house, if we could just stand to our feet, we're going to go into a, a time of response where our prayer team, they, they line across the side walls. They get into position to, to pray and, and to intercede on your behalf. This whole service, they've been praying. That's their assignment. They're serving today by praying for you. And now they get to come and, and put a face and a name with the person that they've been praying for. If you're here today and you raised your hands to give your life to Christ, or you should have, or maybe you have a need in your life, and you need God to move on your behalf. They would love to pray with you today. Today we get to worship, not as the old man, but as a new man in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to move into a response where we go to our prayer team, or maybe you come and find a place in the altar to just get before the Lord and surrender to Him. So Father, in this moment right here, you see our hearts, you see the things that have happened, you see the decisions that we're making, and Father, right now, we, de we dedicate ourselves not to be, be just Christian in name only, not to be just a hearer of the word, but to be a doer. So like right now, Father, as you've called us out of darkness, we're removing the old things of our life. We're leaving the old behind and we're walking in the newness of life, the newness of Christ, a new creation. And so, Father, we thank you for those people that are making those pivotal, monumental steps today. Would you meet them in this place in such a supernatural way? Father, would you be honored and glorified today as you bring healing to your children, as you bring hope to them and restoration to them? God, would you move in such a supernatural way that we know it's not man, it's God, that God did this in my life. And so, Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this moment. We now praise you and honor you. We lift up a worship to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.